I often receive a lot of questions having to do with confusing things with regard to maybe you saw an episode of a TV show and they talk about Catholicism and they try to portray Catholicism in a different light and not necessarily follow what the church teaches. So I'm going to give you some examples. I'll never forget a few years ago I was watching the show Blue Bloods with um, Tom Selleck in it and when I was watching the show uh, the family is known to be Catholic. They often pray at a lot of their meals. It's a show about a family of cops. And they often portray neat elements of Catholicism. But then there are certain moments on various topics, usually moral issues, where one of the family members will say, well, you know, the church really needs to kind of adapt to the times. I think the church is behind the times on this one. How many times have you perhaps felt pressured to adapt Maybe someone's told you, just let go of your stuffiness and Catholic guilt. They'll say, live, let live, have fun, loosen up a little bit. They might want to give you a drink to try and let you let go of your, what they believe is pretentiousness. This is an attitude of modernity. This attitude that we have to adapt to the times, and unfortunately we see, even see this within the church at times, where we choose not to follow what the church has taught. But in the reality, the truth of the matter is that the Catholic Church has always taught eternal truths. They don't arbitrarily decide what is and what is not. And so these eternal truths are meant to help make us happy. They appeal to the deepest longings of the human heart. St. Augustine is known for saying our souls are restless until they rest in thee, in God. So what is truth and how do we seek it out? You see, truth makes us happy. Contrary to this attitude that I define my own reality, truth really does point us in a direction of a deeper understanding of who we are. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about St. John Paul II in his work titled Veritatis Splendor. That is, the splendor of truth. Now, it's a writing that John Paul II published in the late, or sorry, early 90s, 1993. And in it, it really addresses how truth is so important in society, but more importantly, how truth is important for the human person. And it should ultimately guide everything that we do. But it goes much deeper than that. So the the writing of Veritatis Splendor starts out by asking a question having to do with obedience, essentially. And emphasizes that we're made holy, through obedience to truth. That's first Peter, the first saint, the first pope talked about this. But St. John Paul II talks about how obedience isn't necessarily easy. We're always tempted essentially to turn away from God and to turn toward idols. In fact, we read in St. Paul's letter to the Romans that we tend to exchange the truth about God for a lie. That's Romans chapter 1. Just go and open up Romans chapter 1 one of these days. Read the whole chapter and it's a reminder that when we turn our backs on God, how easy it is to turn our back on anything that shows any honesty to ourselves about who we are how we really want to live, whether it has to do with lying. I mean, honestly, who wants to lie? You lie and you catch yourself in it and you think, why did I even do that? You can either make excuses and move on or say, hey, I actually have to go to confession. I'm building a bad habit here. 
But because of the fall, our ability to know truth has been impacted. It's been weakened, as St. John Paul II talks about. And we tend to give in to this attitude of the times, which is to be skeptical about whether or not something or someone is really telling you the truth. Or to have this attitude of relativism. Well, that person said that. That priest or that church made this declaration. But... I don't know. I think that this is really the truth. And I try to define my own reality. And so ultimately, you and I are constantly searching for what really is true. And we can either choose to seek out what is real, or we can choose to define our own reality. Now, it's fascinating because even as there are many cultural and psychological and social studies about freedom, there are two attitudes. One is this outright rejection of freedom from a cultural perspective saying, you know, you really can't choose to be obedient. You can't choose to follow a particular religious institution, a way of living because you're really not free. There's this idea that freedom is impossible. Then there's another attitude that freedom has no bounds. In fact, St. John Paul II talks about how certain currents of modern thought have gone so far as to exalt freedom to such an extent that it becomes an absolute, which would then be the source of values. For example, this is something we often see in Western cultures, where freedom becomes our religion. This tends to be something we do as Americans at times. For example, it goes to such an extent that we start believing in, quote, reproductive rights. But in reality, any bodily rights have a limit, especially in terms of whether or not certain rights that we try to advocate for are healthy for the body. We can say we have absolutely f- absolute freedom, autonomy for the body, but certain decisions we make won't necessarily make us happy. So then is freedom our end-all be-all? At the same time, we're talking about two human beings in the case of people advocating for abortion under reproductive rights. Well, your right as an autonomous individual ends the moment there's a second person, also known as that baby developing in the womb. All of this reminds me of today's reading from Luke chapter 10. If you heard of the gospel today, it talks about the scholar, the scholar of the law, who tried to test Jesus and he ultimately asked Jesus the question of what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And we talk about love of neighbor, love of self, obedience to the commandments. But let's look at this in in light of what St. John Paul II discusses when he takes us in Veritatis Splendor through a journey of the gospel according to Matthew chapter 19 with the rich young man. Where the rich young man comes up to him and basically says like, hey, I'm following all the commandments like you're saying, but he's still dissatisfied. And he wants to achieve this level of perfection. And so Jesus Christ responds, well, if you want to be perfect... And he starts to walk through what that would look like, following the commandments. The rich young man's like, yeah, I'm doing all of that. And then Christ goes, well, okay, if you want to be perfect, come and follow me. We're going to break this down a little bit here. You see, the problem is the answer that the young man receives that doesn't satisfy him is what John Paul II points to. 
which is why he says, I've kept all of these commandments, but what do I still lack? Jesus' conversation with the young man points to where we can develop into a greater sense of moral growth, where we can mature as human beings. And when we mature, when we grow deeper into who we are as a human person and what God created us for, we're happier. That's why we're talking about this during our happy hour here on Trending. Now, the rich young man, we read St. John Paul II in commenting on Matthew chapter 9, says the young man, having observed all the commandments, shows that he is incapable of taking the next step by himself alone. In order to do so, he requires a mature human freedom. If you wish to be perfect in God's gift of grace, come and follow me. So in other words, Jesus looks at him, he's like, okay, you want to be perfect? You're saying you've obeyed all of these laws and commandments? Well, if you wish to be perfect, Jesus offers this invitation. He's offering him the ability to freely choose a life of perfection. You see, God isn't going to take away our liberty. So if you wish to be perfect, he gives him the next step. Come and follow me. Jesus Christ is saying, yes, you can do all the right things. Pray the right prayers. Follow the commandments to the T. But are you actually following me? Are you stepping into a level of total abandonment that's necessary to be conformed to Christ? This was the challenge that Jesus Christ in his humanity faced. Jesus Christ was fully man and fully God, which is why in the Garden of Gethsemane, we know that Jesus was sweating blood while he was there in the garden as he'd see all the sins that were to be committed by all of us today, tomorrow, 500 years from now. And he says these words in the garden to his father. He's praying to him, to his heavenly father, If it could be, let this cup pass from me. Let this conformity to your image, that self-sacrificial love, pass from me. In his humanity, Jesus is saying, I can't do this alone. And it's only by the grace of God that he is able to go through with the scourging and the crucifixion, the crowning of thorns, the nails being pushed through his hands, the utter agony that our Lord Jesus Christ saw. He followed and conformed to the Heavenly Father. So this is why St. John Paul II emphasizes these words that Jesus expresses to the rich young man, if you wish. JP2 says these words of Jesus reveal the particular dynamic of freedom's growth toward maturity. That is, you and I becoming fully alive in our humanity. Early Christians and saints knew their vocation was toward authentic freedom. They knew that in Christ they could be free. Which is why St. John Paul II, also a saint, who wrote just about 30 years ago, if you wish, is part of what's so important about the words of Jesus to the young man. God emphasizes freedom to show that this is the path to holiness, but also it emphasizes the loving act that God performed in creating us. God didn't have to create you or me. 
He chose to out of love. And because we're created in his image and likeness, we too are made for love. But in order for you and I to be made for love, that means that we have to be free. Because if we were forced to follow all of God's commandments, that would be slavery, not love. We wouldn't be choosing to be with him. Even if the ultimate peak of humanity is to be united with Christ, he still chose to to give us human freedom so that we could be like him and partake in his life. St. Paul in his letters to the Galatians talked about how we're called to freedom. And the Apostle Paul, St. John Paul II, says that this call to freedom, St. Paul extends to each and every single one of us with joy and pride. He's proud of this idea of being called to be free. And he takes solace and joy in it. St. Paul even goes on in his letter to the Galatians to talk about only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love be servants to one another. So St. Paul is saying this freedom is an incredible thing. It can actually lead to a life of joy. He's saying freedom has a purpose. You see, our modern idea of freedom, if we believe in it, is that freedom is for me to do anything and everything I want with no bounds, no, no inhibitions whatsoever. But freedom actually has a purpose. And we can either choose to follow that purpose or choose to turn away from it. We're talking ultimately about joyful obedience to God's will. This is why St. John Paul II opens his letter talking about how difficult obedience is. He talks about how all our sins were destroyed in baptism. But then he asks the question, does it follow that no weakness remained? So because our sins are destroyed in baptism, we know this, we believe this. This is what the sacrament does. You see, the sacraments in the church actually do what they say they're going to do. The sacraments remove all sin. But the problem is we still have concupiscence. That's the weakness that still remains in each and every single one of us baptized Christians. This can lead to relativism where I define my own reality. That attitude of modernity in the church where people say, ah, the church needs to adapt to the times. It's pride. It's sin. It's our own self-deceit where we try to talk ourselves out of what is really true. St. John Paul II said this, To which we serve God, we are free. While to the extent that we follow the law of sin, we are still slaves. So if we choose to follow God, we're actually in this state of freedom. We're happy. We're joyful. You know, I think this is part of why it's so exciting when we walk out of reconciliation, when we walk out of confession. When we walk out of confession, you notice so often you might have a a smile on your face, a little hop in your step, because you've been forgiven by God and you're choosing to align yourself with him. 